Today's episode of Flying Coach on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Help the heroes and hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate, please. If you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen. It's a charitable donation. Once again, that is theringer.com slash WCK. We started Flying Coach to raise money for the Warriors Community Foundation and the Seahawks Charitable Foundation. But as a thank you to all the frontline workers for COVID-19, Pete Carroll and his company, Compete to Create, are offering a free online course and high-performance mindset coincidentally called Warrior's Edge. You can find it by going to his website at competetocreate.net backslash Warrior's Edge. It will be available for free for anyone working with COVID-19. Through the end of 2020 in general, the course is an incredible insider look into Pete's philosophy, culture, and leadership. A lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast. Coming up, Steve Kerr. Pete Carroll, Flying Coach. All right, Flying Coach. Pete, we are, gosh, 10 weeks, I think, into the uh, quarantine. This is our sixth episode, believe it or not. We're living a totally different life now, by the way. You and I are. We used to be coaches. Now we just hang around on Zoom and talk to each other. <laughs> just, just dads. <laughs> just dads. Dads on Zoom. It's a noble, it's a noble calling, though. We got we to hang on to that. But yeah, we're, it's different. It surely is. Do things feel at all different for you? I know you guys have really gotten going with um, kind of the off-season program, the meetings. I actually jumped on to your team meeting the other day, which was a yeah, lot of fun. Great. Uh, but can you tell our listeners, what what you guys are up to, what are the Seahawks doing? What's the NFL doing these days? Yeah, we're just finishing week four of what we would refer to in the old off-season format as phase one. That's the first phase when guys can come in and work out and uh, work out with the strength and conditioning coaches and meet with the coaches, but no football uh, on the field. And that lasts for three weeks. We are now in week four of that. We've extended that phase one two more weeks to the end of the month, and then we'll see what happens from there. Um, but So what we're doing now is is we're doing all of the football meetings virtually, and as we do that, um, you know, we're we're taking our guys along, and man, we're trying to do everything we can to make it as real and and uh, as is kind of compatible for the the learning that needs to take place, and hopes that you know the transference of that information to the field will happen when when we get there. Uh, but we've been it's been extensive, you know, and we've been trying to be as creative as we can, and and uh, the players have been fantastic about it. This it's all voluntary, you know. This is not a, a mandatory time. And so they're volunteering their time to come on in. So we're working four days a week, basically, with those guys and a lot more with the rookies now that they're in. And uh, so we're just answering questions and, you know, we're doing everything we can think of to, to keep them engaged. Is there a physical component too? Like, are your strength coaches putting your players through workouts uh, online or, or how's that going? No. There, in, in our, there's a couple choices that the league, the league teams had an opportunity to make, but how you wanted to do that, and we chose to let the guys work out on their own, and uh, so they have our book and you know the guidance stuff that we we give them, but it's up to them to carry it out. We don't monitor those workouts at all. Um, every now and then we see something pop up on the internet, you know, somebody puts out a workout or whatever, but we don't, uh, we're not coaching them in that manner, you know? So <clears throat> there's a lot of, you know, cool stuff that we can teach, but we can't get to the physical side of it 
being this, that this game is pretty darn yeah. physical, it's a real important part we're missing out on, but we're making the most of it. Now, is every team under the same guidelines from the NFL? So in other words, are, are all 32 teams uh, under the same restrictions in terms of what you can do? Are, there, are any practice facilities open up around the league or no? No, all, all the facilities are close to the players other than some guys that, that need to get treatment in the in the building. But other than that, it, our building's shut down. There's nobody there. Mm. And uh, so everybody's the same. Uh, the league's really, really intent on making things competitively the same. And so uh, they're real strict about that. And, and uh, we have to check in if we have to drop by the building for something. You know, we have to tell them why we're going and the whole thing. So it's uh, governed very, very tightly, which is fine. And uh, – our players are all over the country. You know, they're not, there's some here, but most of them are all over the place and, and yeah. still at home. It's pretty similar to the NBA. The, the difference, though, is that, you know, the NBA facilities are all basically coming under the regulation of the city and the state uh, in which they, they, they live, in which the, the, the building exists. So, uh, for example, under San, San Francisco regulations, uh, we can't open up our practice facility uh, for another couple of weeks, probably about July f or uh, June 1st. Some practice facilities are open already. Um, now, we are all under similar guidelines in terms of what we can do workout-wise. So players can do individual workouts, one player, one coach, all kinds of regulation, as you can imagine, in terms of sure. uh, safety precautions. You know, the coach has to wear a mask, has to wear gloves. Four, only four players allowed in the facility at one time. Four players, four coaches, one strength coach. And so, you know, everybody's just kind of trying to figure out what this means. But, you know, here we are near the end of our regular season, and you got a lot of teams – you know, fighting for playoff spots, fighting for championship, uh, you know, dreams and playoff seating, all that stuff. But a, a totally different set of rules based on, uh, you know, the, the guidelines of the city and the state. So it's really been tricky for the NBA. Yeah, the the, the NFL is, is working really carefully to not take any false steps here. You know, they're, they're just doing a really good job, I think, of taking in all the information and watching everything that's going on and following the regulations and all of the format that's happening so that when we finally do make a call, uh, you know, they'll make a decisive call and we'll move forward. But we don't know. We're not talking to the league. They're not telling us much right now because I think they're still holding too. I know that they're working really diligently to figure it out. Um, but it's not time yet to kind of unveil what's what's next. So really, we're, we we got the word that we're going two more weeks of this phase one format to finish the month, and then we'll figure out from there. You know, when they tell us what's going on. So and a little bit sounds a little different. Sounds like you guys have some some options in there that that you can exercise. We don't have much of anything that we can do uh, at this point. The league's pretty pretty uniformed. Well, I think everybody in the NBA understands the circumstances, and and as my general manager Bob Myers said, we, you know, we are the Warriors. We are certainly willing to be good partners. I think that's how every franchise is looking at this. Um, we just have to to do what's right for the league and and do as as well as we can for each other. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's it's a case where uh, the league is trying to keep teams from gaining competitive advantage. So right. head coaches are not even allowed in the facilities. And uh, so the individual workouts are just that. There's no strategy allowed. Um, players can't work out together. It's literally just, you know, one and one coach and, and player, you know, shooting workout, 
go into the weight room, get a, a, a weight workout, get out of there, disinfect the whole place, and then the, ne- the next four players come in. It's it's uh, it's really kind of bizarre, but it's it's the it's the next step, the next phase as we you know try to ch- return back to the floor. Uh, the good thing in the in the NBA, there, there appears to be some momentum, and uh, you know the, I, I think. There's been some news that's out there, but the momentum appears to be that we could be heading for a conclusion of the season, you know, maybe under one roof on a campus like Orlando at, at Disney World, uh, where they have all those courts and, and uh, hotel space, and they, they would be able to control the environment and have testing. And, and uh, so for the first time, really, in, in a long time, I'm feeling fairly confident, fairly positive that uh, the NBA could get back and continue the season and get to the playoffs eventually. Yeah, there, there's so much to, to, that has to take place here with the logistics and figuring all, all the the organization of it. If basketball can get started first, you guys have much smaller teams and num- smaller numbers to work with to c- at least work to learn how to control you know your environment. Uh, with baseball coming, if maybe baseball comes after that, you know you guys got 15 players, 12, 15 players, and they've got 25 players or whatever, and 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 a. a, a substantial support group but you get to football now it's 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 90 at camp it'll be you know 65 players anyway and then we have a whole host of players well we'll learn from you guys and how you guys you know proceed and all that uh it'll be a real real interesting exercise we'll just uh, all figure it out as we go and do it really well and and uh, there's a lot of great brains on it so we should figure it out as well as it can be done yeah, I feel like we're all kind of learning from each other. Uh, you know, I've, I watched a little Korean League baseball the other night. It was on TV, and, <laughs> and it was really interesting. No fans. You're seeing some of the players sitting in the stands behind the dugout, you know, six, eight feet uh, apart from one another. Uh, but we're going to learn. We're going to learn what what's going on there. And German soccer is now back. Um, again, no fans. Uh, but – at least we're seeing positive signs. And I think that would seem to be the, the key to this whole thing. As we learn more about the virus, we learn more about, you know, how we, how we handle this stuff. You know, can we find the right balance of people getting back to life, getting, getting back to work, but also protecting people, keeping those who are vulnerable, safe and healthy and, that's that's got to be the plan. That's got to be the idea. But uh, it's a it's a difficult high wire act. It would appear. You know, one thing I wouldn't worry about at all for the people that are waiting and the fans and all. You know, how will the players react and how hard will they play? If you put ten of your guys in in a gymnasium and threw a basketball in there and said, "Go play for it. you," got two hours <laughs> to play. Well, they're going to play their butt off and they're going to go for it the whole time. Our guys will do the same. It doesn't matter whether the fans are there in that regard because they're, they're just the competition of it all. It'll change the the experience drastically, but the players are still going to play really hard and they're going to compete and they're going to battle and they'll fight and claw and scratch every every bit whether whether the fans are there or not. Uh, but the environment will be so much different. But uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Well, and as we know, if there's something on TV, you know, people are going to watch yeah, right, it, and, right, and I, right. I'd watch anything right now. I, I think <laughs> I think I'm just like every other sports fan, just to watch two people competing or two teams competing. There's something so compelling about that. And, and, uh, and I know from our standpoint with the Warriors, uh, even if we're able to come back and play, you know, maybe they have us play five, seven games, 10 games. I don't know. I mean, we're out of the playoffs already, but just to get some finality 
to this current season and then really have a defined off season and then have the lead the league tell us when next season's going to start when the draft is going to be it, it will just give us so much more clarity and allow us to plan ahead and i think everybody's looking forward to that you know steve one more other thought about our our format in the nfl we have just completed and we're a week beyond phase one where we would not have done any football up until this point. So really this week right now, we just culminated uh, with our with our meetings today, was the first week we would have missed on the field. So we're not that far behind in, in our in our format. And in this next, uh, this phase two of the NFL, you can't even go offense versus defense. It's just you're separate. We're not even on the field at the same time. So uh it's we haven't lost in our world. We haven't lost that much at this point. From this point forward, we do, and there's a competitive part about that that we got to use these next couple yeah. of weeks and whatever as we build up to getting back on the field. Really, really importantly, but um, so we're it's it's not going to affect us at least you know for a couple months drastically. Yeah. I wouldn't think. Well, I know one thing. It's bringing out the creative side in uh, in a lot of different staffs. I had so much fun. Uh, I jumped on your your uh, Zoom call with for about five ten minutes the other day. You had trivia. You had there was all kinds of trash talking going on. Uh, you were you, you had guys competing against one another. Um, you got to bring out, pull out all the stops right now. I mean, well, that's why we, that's why I pulled in a big gun. We pulled you in. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, we, right. we were doing some, we did some trivia. We had all watched the thing together, and guys that were behind had to binge watch it and all that. We had some fun with that, and we talked about it as we went through the weeks. Is that the episodes kept coming off, and everybody, these guys start, started to feel like they kind of had a good feel for it. So I thought, well, let's let's really get to the source now. <laughs> we couldn't <laughs> get Michael. We if we could have got Michael, we both would have wanted to hear that one. But uh, it was great to get you in there, Stephen, and uh, you said some stuff straight form. It was great. That's ah, good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, I appreciate the update on, uh, on the NFL and I hope everybody out there is, uh, you know, following the news and, and, uh, keeping track of all this stuff and, uh, excited about sports returning. I know, I know I am, but, um, we have, uh, a really cool guest this week and Pete, I, I got to admit, I didn't know we would be able to pull off some of the guests that we've had <laughs> so far. You got some pop. You well, got not some, about that. There's a lot of people sitting at home. <laughs> There's a lot of people sitting at home looking for something to do. That's maybe. right. I don't That's know. right. Well, maybe we just found somebody who was bored who uh, who wanted to come on. But we are so fired up. Uh, Bill Murray is going to jump in with us this week. Amazing. Noted actor. Holy uh, cow! And huge sports fan and Chicago guy. And uh, man, we are we are fired up to have you, Bill. Are you there? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm sort of here. Start sort of. There you are. There we go. Hey, what's up? Not much. I'm holding this up. You got your technical advisor there? Yeah, I have a little technical advisor here. I've just walked away from a cold glass of water. Yeah, I'm trying to make an <laughs> extension cord work and just get myself. This is, I haven't, I just started doing this a week ago. So I'm not as good as you guys, but uh, I. Uh, we have a lot of help. <laughs> how you doing, Pete? Great, great. Great good to, to see, see you. Thanks for taking part with this. Your headphones sort of keep disappearing it's kind of it's a weird visual <laughs> so, yeah when you stop one way you're it's sort of like half of your head is, le is leaving but it's, no, I, know I, it's I, I don't think that's happening i think that just might be your imagination i don't know <laughs> no i see the same thing <laughs> oh i see this is an inter it's an intervention okay <laughs> exactly we've called you all together <laughs> thank you well bill uh Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I think you know a lot of us in 
in lieu of watching sports these days are uh, watching a lot of movies, a lot of television. Um, so I got to ask you, I know you're a huge sports fan, Chicago guy. Uh, what have you been doing? What, what are you watching? What are you, uh, what are you doing with your time during the quarantine? Well, I've been watching the Lone Ranger, old episodes of the Lone Ranger. <laughs> and I find it very helpful during this time of wearing masks to say I'm on the side of law and order. <laughs> and uh, when people look at me quizzically, I say, otherwise I would have walked in with my guns thrown. And that always, that makes everything safe right away. <laughs> of course, that makes perfect sense. If this man were going to cause trouble, he'd have pulled his guns right away. <laughs> Uh, but uh, th- I've been watching that. And of course, I was watching The Last Dance. I don't know if that's what you're get- getting fishing around to, but um, I watched it. But I'm <laughs> yeah, still, well, I want to make this about me. This is yeah, about okay. me, Bill. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Well, I haven't watched the last two episodes, so don't don't spoil the ending for me. I don't know if they win that 1998 championship or not. I don't know if you're a, I'm not sure if you're a hero or not, but um, they're, uh, I haven't watched the last two. I enjoyed eight so much, and I was watching with people that were that had to wake up very early to work. I said, okay, I can wait. I can wait. And and I watched eight. And I watched, had to watch episode eight twice. But I liked it. I liked it very much. I'm enjoying the whole thing. It's interesting to watch the sort of backwash now that it's over. People like, now I'm going to get my two cents in and people chiming in and throwing rocks from the sidelines. It's kind of interesting. But it's fascinating watching. It's, it's very interesting to see. And it, it was a... Uh, it was a wonderful time. I don't know who said it. Maybe you said it. I've, I've listened to a couple of your shows, by the way, and liked them. I, I liked your Michael Lewis show. I thought that was a very dynamic show. And I listened to the first one that it was just you two talking to each other. And I found that uh, fascinating and very, very understandable why you two would hook up and do a show again. Well, thank you. Um, Appreciate it. Well, I remember seeing you occasionally during that Chicago run. Um, you know, I, I knew you were a... a Chicago guy, Chicago sports fan. I, I guess I kind of knew you as a Cubs fan from just seeing you on TV. But uh, I remember a few times out in the hallway, you know, outside our locker room, you know, we're getting ready to do the whole what time is it game time thing. And, you know, all of a sudden you turn around, it's like, oh, there's Bill Murray. That's cool. <laughs> you know, but uh, so have you been, did you go to Bulls games growing up? Oh, no, I, I didn't grow up with the kind of money that you and Pete had. <laughs> so, uh, we used to, uh, I, I don't think I went to a Bulls game until I was, uh, I registered to vote a lot during that period because I lived in New York and I had season six at the garden right on the floor. I used to take my son Luke and Homer, they saw more Bulls games as children than I saw until I was 30. They saw them live. There was one great moment when, uh, there's a ball racing out of bounds. You know how players have the opportunity to dive out of bounds and, and, and flip the ball backwards. And it was Patrick Ewing, and he was coming at full speed, and he looked, and he saw that I had two children, one of them sitting on my knee, and he stopped short. I mean, he could have gotten to the ball, but he stopped rather than involuntary manslaughter. Rap, <laughs> you know, Rodman would have kept going. <laughs> yeah, he probably, he probably would have. He, he probably might have, but... It was quite a moment. I was, at that time, I'd been going to the games for a couple of years, and I was able to actually, I can confess this now, there were only two seats. I had my larger son sitting on one of the seats, and my <laughs> other son sitting on my lap, which you're not allowed to do. But they didn't care. The guys were nice there to us. And I don't know if Robin would have gone, I never even thought about that. But I just think of, like, the largest person I knew at that time, stopping. 
Sure. It was, that's, that was athleticism. Hey, Bill, you've always been around a lot of a lot of the games and sports and stuff and, you know, all the way from playing out on the West Coast and the golf tournaments, all the stuff that you've done. But I, and I so I, I was curious. I try to figure out, you know, like, what is this guy's background as, as an athlete? And, and I dug and dug, I couldn't find anything. So what I thought I want I would do is I thought like when I when I when I interview a guy at the at the combine and I'm trying to figure out whether we're going to draft him or not I got a couple basic questions that I love asking to try to figure out what a guy's background is. So I thought I'd ask you like uh, did you play sports when you were growing up? I played everything but hockey really. Although I could I could ice skate. I grew up in Illinois near Chicago. And I played baseball was really my sport that I really loved. I played baseball. I would hit rocks with a bat just over the backyard fence until I heard like it would hit one of my neighbors on the head. But, <laughs> but I, that's what I really loved. I loved and I would spend the night on the telephone organizing, trying to get 18 guys to play a real game all during the summer. A <laughs> uh, little league ended by the time the school year ended. And I just wanted to keep playing. And uh, I, I really loved playing baseball. I was a pretty good baseball player. Um, and I, I played that into high school. I played Pony League, and then I got interested in girls. And Pony League was in direct uh, competition with girls, so that, <laughs> that was the end of Pony. And I sort of played, and I could play pretty good basketball, but I was, I grew up with my uh, older brothers. We would play a game outdoors. We'd play in the winter, and you guys never grew up where it was cold, but when you play in the winter, the ball stops bouncing after a certain moment. It doesn't bounce any higher. <laughs> So the game would only last so long, you'd have to go back in and let the ball heat up again, and then you'd go back out. But it was basically a pretty violent game. I was the, I was the third youngest, uh, and my brothers would pretty much beat me up because it took a while for my younger brothers to get large enough for me to beat them up. So it was a violent game, and if you shot too much, you were considered a ball hawk. So I tried to learn how to do everything else in basketball. I was a pretty good defender. I... I rebound pretty well for a guy my size and I could pass pretty well but I never like shooting to me was a ball hog thing and I never understood until too late that if you can't score coaches just have no interest in you at all they don't really <laughs> and especially at the high school level they want people that can put it in the, put it in the hole they're not so interested about a like a versatile you know jack of all trades kind of guy that's you know just got so just a fiery spirit there you go Everybody throws around the chemistry stuff, you know, you got you could be a good locker room guy, you know, are you are you a good teammate, are you a good defender, but you're right. We all we all want the guy who can get buckets. That's true. Yeah. Could you get buckets if if your brothers had let you? If I'd seen the, I remember when I saw my first piece pistol beat video and I thought, "Oh my god, if I'd seen that when I was 10, <laughs> I would have played in college because I would have said, "Oh, this guy understands it completely." And just <laughs> learning how to shoot, not that you shoot, but just a little bit of instruction, which I no one ever gave me ever. But just seeing how he shot the ball, I remember watching the first one and shooting, going, "Oh my God, this is oh, this is heartbreaking." <laughs> Where was this guy when I was you know, a kid? But learning how to shoot from a real shooter was fantastic. And if my brothers had ever, you know, I could beat my brothers eventually. Pretty, I could beat all my brothers, but it didn't matter. Because none of us were ever real scorers, but yeah, you're right. I was. I didn't get enough courage to be a scorer. It it sounds like you were uh, it, when you when you got to play in Space Jam, you sort of got to play the character that you wanted to be 
on a basketball team. You you didn't play defense. You you just shot, right? That was your your deal. Well, wait a second. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the film, Steve. It's a very powerful American <laughs> film. But in the movie, I steal the ball at the end of the game. I steal the ball and I pass it to this other guy on the team who's open. <laughs> and then I get to my spot and I'm wide open and I'm calling for the ball. And uh, I didn't get it back. You know that feeling? You know that I, feeling I, know, I know it all too well, Bill. You pass the ball all to that well. guy and you don't get it back. <laughs> but I, I'm proud of you that you did eventually play defense because early in the movie, I remember this specifically, you said, I don't do defense. I don't do defense. That's right. That was my line in the movie. And it was funny at the time, but under pressure, I did what I had to do. <laughs> it was later in the movie we shot the ending i was like oh my god i'm a hypocrite i actually played defense how was that that had to be fun uh, uh the just filming the movie and the, just the whole scene there yeah it was fun i mean i was uh one of the producers ivan reitman was uh helping out a lot on the film and uh he, he directed me in uh, three or four movies the ghostbusters and stripes and sure. uh Meatballs and maybe one other that I can't remember. Two Ghostbusters were there. So he was there, and I couldn't believe that they built that basketball court. Did any of you ever see that basketball court that they built on the Warner Brothers? A lot. We got to see it just on the show. Oh, but it's, I mean, it's full size. And that they just took over this whole area and built this building for one movie with a weight room, a beautiful floor. And that was fun. And to hang around there, I was never invited into that game. <laughs> but it was Why fun not? to watch that game i don't think my shoes were new enough i think my shoes were nowhere near new enough for the game but uh they were awfully uh awfully good and it was great to see all kinds of different guys and there were young guys and older guys guys who were already out of the league all kinds of different people there and it was it was quite a quite a situation but the making the movie was that i wasn't you know that was just watching the game i was just a fan and you know, there was Mountain Dew to drink or something like that. You just sat there and watched it. But the, the actual making of the movie was, some of it was that green screen stuff where you're talking to light bulbs on a wall. But the fun, the real fun was we had to shoot some golf scenes and we shot it up at Arrowhead, Lake Arrowhead. And uh, I did have a golf cart accident up there. But uh, we would, you, in movies, you, you do a shot and then they have to turn the camera on. It takes 45 minutes or an hour or more. And we would just go play golf for about an hour. And it was Larry Bird and myself and, and Michael and one other person, I can't remember who was playing with us. And that's when I realized that I did not want to play golf with Michael Bird for money. And I was like, uh-oh. So, but it was fun to play with him and it was fun to goof around with him. It made it easier to shoot the scenes because we, we got to know, I knew Michael some, you know, just from being going to the Bulls scenes and so forth. But Larry, I got to know, and he, he, it took a little while with him, as you probably know. But he's a delightful person when you get to know him. Well, do you work at your golf game? Because you, you're kind of you're kind of a big deal out there at Pebble Beach and all that stuff. Do you work <laughs> at it? Uh, well, I don't work at it as much as I could or should, perhaps. But I I caddied as a kid, dude, and um, so I've seen people hit a golf shot, and I understand the rhythm of it, and I understand a lot about it, how to hit certain kinds of shots. Just I never really studied all those shots, but I learned how to hit a lot of different shots. And we used to play golf in the caddy yard. So you have to hit these shots that went like around the building and up this <laughs> sort of sand dune. And 
over there by that tree. We play from out of the bushes. We make up just different holes to it. And so there's always like a creativity uh, component to it. Uh, but um, I've gotten some lessons later in life. And uh, uh, do, you, do you guys both play golf? Yeah, uh, do you play? I'm not playing. I'm not playing that much at all anymore. I, I used to. I, I just kind of let it go recently. But uh, it's a great game. It's a fun game. You, you you always pull off some shots now. I mean, you you got a couple shots in that bag every every now and then. And, oh well, uh, I I do have some shots. So thank you for saying that. But and, but I will be completely frank and say that the nice thing about playing in those pro-am tournaments is they only show your good shots. They do not show <laughs> your bad shots. They cut to you making like an amazing shot. And I have the ability with my, my professional training to act as if I do that on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like that's what it looks like. It comes across like that. Just like another, you know, walk in a park, nothing to it. Yeah, but you mu- you must fear the, the, the shank into the gallery, right? I mean, those are big galleries. And, you know, we, I mean, that's got to be a scary thought. Yeah, I don't, I don't fear, uh, fear shanking <laughs> into the gallery. I figure if they'd come out to watch me, Golf, they've got it coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I never really hit anyone with a golf ball until a few years ago. And the crowds are crazy. It, it, you see them on TV where you say, like, here's this guy who's now going to hit a ball that's going to go 175 miles an hour. And they all lean in, like, can I get closer to kind of look directly at the balls? That come back <laughs> and I, say, I like to say to them, hey, you, you know, you're not that good looking to begin with. You want to back it up? <laughs> but they, they – they really do crowd. I didn't hit, but one year, maybe about four or five years ago, I hit about three people in an hour. Like Jerry <laughs> Ford would kill people. I hit three people in, a, in an hour and I hadn't hit anyone in, you know, 15 years ever, you know? So it was just a bad day. Everyone can have a bad day where people are taken away in a, in a ambulance. Do you have a regular partner that you play with at, at the Pebble tournament? Well, I played for about, um, 10 years or more with a fellow named Scott Simpson who won a U.S. Open, almost sure. four U.S. Opens. Yeah. I thought he, when I was first matched with him, I thought, oh, this guy's really square. He's really dry. I don't think this is going to work. He turns out to have a very strange, unusual sense of humor. And uh, we had more fun. We had more fun than anyone ever had in the tournament. We really had a lot of fun. And we usually played, for many years, we played with uh, Jeff Sluman, who's another knucklehead. And uh, Mark Grace, who played first base for the Cubs, who is completely unreliable in most ways and a perfect <laughs> person to have on a golf course. Hey, hey, Bill, we're always looking to get better, you know, and, uh, you know, as, as coaches. And, uh, you know, you've been you've been coached a lot over years. Now, I wouldn't I don't know how you would describe yourself as a coachable guy or not, but uh, is there any any advice you could give us about uh, how we could handle our, you know, the players that. You know that they've been around the block. They've played a lot of ball, and and you know they've 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 won a lot of games and all that. And maybe how to deal with those guys in in, in you know some kind of fashion that would help us out. Uh, I should say that I, I have played the last few years at Pell Beach with BA points, and we actually won the tournament, the pro am tournament, and he won the pro tournament. Uh, I got two big pieces of crystal, and he got a check for one point four million dollars. So <laughs> I I offered to swap, but it, it, that he's still thinking about that. <laughs> um, well, you're trying to get other people to play together. You know, my son is a basketball coach, and he, I, I can't help but be like an assistant coach. You know, I can't. I'm, I'm, I wasn't that bad before, but now it's kind of fun because the game's on TV or I'm there live. But 
it's fun to watch. I like the idea of how you make people do things at a certain moment or seeing the weaknesses of another team or something you can exploit, some way that your talent can take advantage of, of the situation that the team provides. But um, it, I would compare it to working with other actors in a scene and that we're all trying to get this thing done. And um, people get anxious, but when I get nervous, and I think that uh, we could all agree that the enemy of uh, excellence is, is tension. And mm -hmm. being relaxed is really the most comfortable place to work from. So I tried to really uh, get myself as comfortable as I can so that I basically try to get quiet myself down and bring my center of attention down lower in my body. And I hear you fellas talking about Tim Galway and the inner, inner game. It's a book I read a long time ago. I, I, I'm going to reread it after listening to you talk about it again. But the idea of um, your mind and body being together, intellectually, that's, a, that's just a way that people say that. And I don't think everyone understands it. People use the term being present. And I'm not sure everyone understands it. They know the word, but I'm not sure everyone sees it the same way. So, Bill, I would think that it would make sense then that to achieve that, you got to maybe work with a cast and a director who could help you get to that place. I know you've done a lot of work with with Wes Anderson, George Clooney, Harold Ramis. Um, did you, is that the case almost like for, for an athlete playing for the right coach? Do you, do you as an actor sort of seek out a certain kind of director so that you can get to that mind-body connection yourself? Um, in other words, because you're in the right atmosphere? Well, um, not in that sense, Steve. Usually the, the idea comes, the script comes to me, and there's already a director involved. You know? So it's really easy to look up what the director's done, and you go, like, oh, okay, that person mm -hmm. knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need them all the time to play the game, you know, in the same way that a coach might not teach you, say to you, Steve, here's how you play the game. You know how to play the game. But he can give you an insight of, like, how about if you tried this? There's something that, there's some kind of, like, what if you came at it from this particular angle? I, I prepare myself pretty much the way each time I work. They don't, not every director works that way. I don't know any of them that way. Some do, I'm sure, but not everyone works that the way I work. But we all know what quality is, and everyone's goal is the quality. You know, and, and I can make something that's good. You know, I'll make something that's good, and a director will say, how about if you tried this? And I go, okay. Let me try that. Or if, or if I think it's not exact, or if I sort of disagree with it, I say, I think I know what you want. Let me try this. Let me try this and see if you like it. Mm. But some, so I'll try this and see if they like it. And as often as not, maybe they didn't say it in the way that I wanted to hear it, or maybe I, but however, that often works. But to disagree is never good to say no. I don't think that's really it. You can just say, how about if I try this and you like it? Some, and see if you like it, that's, you're still in the game. You're not denying anyone's idea that it's not perfect yet. And it keeps you active. You keep trying it. And there, if there's a beautiful scene to do, a fun scene to do, I can do it all day long. Mm. Mm. I can do it all day long. Yeah. I don't know if it's like that with you when you're running a play and the, the ball's coming to you and you get to shoot it and make it all day. You're not in a rush to get that over with. You're killing it. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Like if I'm in a scene with a great actress like Frances McDormand, we've done some scenes, I've, I've done scenes with her in Wes's movies. You know, Wes says, okay, you guys good? And I said, no, we could, we could do this all day long. It's <laughs> so much fun to work with someone that's so good. You know, this is such pleasure, such pleasure to really do the job. It's hard work, not easy, but it's a pleasure way for me. Pete, don't you think that's kind of what we're after too? You know, sure. with with coaching. I mean, you're looking for that 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 space where not only are you you practicing, but you're you're seeking this vibe and this feeling of joy and excellence. And when you when you feel it, it's incredible. It's magic. Yeah, there's nothing more fun when you're making the, the right connection and everybody's firing on all cylinders and you're having fun and you can't wait to go show you know show what you got and and. Uh, and you know that the people around you are helping you. You don't. You're not worrying about nothing. You know. You're just balling and playing. Now, that's when it's at its best for sure. And I, I, sure, Bill just described how it happens in acting as well. You know. And I think it's fascinating that you guys, because I've heard Steve talk about this, Bill. That you know that you do mention about nerves and you, and being you know having tightness and stuff. When you see a guy that's shot all the shots that he's made, you know, you would think God, he's got to be just as loose as can be. But he'll he'll tell you you know about the tension and the pressure and all of that just kind of as you you said it as well you know it, it's that's just part of performing you know it's 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 the build up the expectations the anticipation you know are you going to have it again on this day are you going to pull it off like you always want to and like you dream of doing it uh it, it there's a build to that and and then we have to manage it and i think bill you know was eloquently was talking about how just getting centered and quieting down and you love people that you can work with around you that help you you know, feel that way and, and and get close to where you're capable of being at your best and all. So it's really, really cool stuff. You know, Russell Westbrook has one of my favorite quotes ever. He, he said, I have been blessed with the gift of not giving a fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's not his line. I don't think he made that one up. <laughs> Maybe he didn't, but he used it. But it's, there's, there's something about that. There's something about that that's true. If you can, I mean, now it, it doesn't work if you literally don't care, but if you if you can play as if you're just free and loose and you're having yeah. fun, that's that's yeah. what we're all looking for. Yeah, it's one of my favorite lines, and it's not one of Bill's movies, but uh, in old Risky Business, there's a line in there where he says, "Sometimes you just got to say what the f, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to let that's it rest. Right. <laughs> and and uh, that, there's there's nothing like that freedom. That's for sure." Now, I have a question for, for you guys, Pete. Um, I was talking to uh, my son who has two very young children, and he sends me photographs all the day long of these kids in action. And it, one after another, is mo one's more hilarious than the one before. And I said to him, wow, you're so lucky. Not in, the, not in the ordinary sense, but in this time here where you are, you are quarantined, you're in your house. You have to be in your house with your children. You get to see these things that most dads don't get to see. Dads often have to go to work, and they don't see all these magical moments. And it's very understandable. As I watch this through him, one reason why children are more connected to their mothers is because their mothers get to see all these magical moments, get to see all these extraordinary moments. And not just that they get to see them, but the child gets to see them, see them. Right. The child gets to do this thing and then see their parent loving what's happening. And I wondered if that works in your bracket, you know, that if you run a play and you're working on a play in a practice, 
if you show delight when the player performs like that, you know, if you if there were something to be gained from the, the just the personal delight in their executing it, not I always wonder if if you guys aren't a little matter of fact sometimes, you know. I know it's always cool, like oh, the coach doesn't react when someone hits a three point shot to win the game. They just so they go, okay, timeout, you know, or you know, it just. I wonder if you, are you that way in practice, perhaps, where you go like that. Obviously, you're always encouraging, especially in like a more rough, violent game like your speed. But I wonder if the delight of it gets it through to the players. I think you're hitting on something that's really it hits home with me because we have always been really expressive in our coaching and been open to respond and and willing to show the guys what we feel. Because we want to show them what we think is the right, you know, the best way to to respond, react, give them choices on how they can express themselves, and uh, and I, I think if you work hard enough at something, you know that the other guys care so much about it that you you feel their joy and you respond to their joy, and you can you can energize other people around you. I mean, this it's a huge part of our communications in our teaching and coaching, and uh, I don't even know where we'd be without it. And I know there are some guys that aren't that way. Um, I'm just doing what we know how to do it, but it's a huge part of it. So, I mean, the kids, kids seeing his dad, see him do something. Yeah. I mean, and, and the mom as well, there's no question that that's got great power. Think of it in the absence of that, you know, without that. And that's, there is a tremendous tribal exchange that's going on right now for families and all. We're all making it. We're working it together and trying to stay close. And, and I'm sure it's a big challenge for the people that are living in such close quarters, but it's it's this is a rare moment. It's a rare opportunity and time for us to learn about one another and how to deal with one another. We may never be the same. We may be changed forever. I hope we are because I think it's going to come from uh, empathy and uh, compassion and getting along and working hard to you know to to mix with with those that you love around you. So I, I think you're right on it. Well, that that connection is just uh, I think what uh, what makes coaching that so much fun. And and I know that Pete, the the whole reason. I looked you up six years ago and I wanted to meet you was I watched you when you were at USC and, and I saw the joy on the sidelines and I saw you celebrating with your players and and it was just it there was just this energy that existed and it came it came from you and it and it went right through the team. But the the key is and I think what I've kind of found as a coach is you, you have to find the balance because you also can't be the, you know, the clown on the sidelines or, you know, j- jumping around on every play. So how do you find that balance where your team can feel your joy, your energy, but then also they know you're on it, right? You got to be focused. You got to be locked in. You got to be discussing strategy with your other coaches. And so there's a, there's a balance in there somewhere that I think is, is really crucial. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's, and there's all kinds of historical moments where I've, gone too far the wrong way, you know, one, one way or another. And you just kind of log those away and say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, you know, uh, that uh, teaches you, you know, and, and then, then really I, I, at this point, I just trust, you know, I just, we, and I, our guys, we are acting in the way we like to act and, and operate enough that we just kind of let it go. And and there's times, you know, we got to reel each other in a little bit and, and, you know, you put your arm around somebody and say, hey, maybe not now, you know, or that's a little bit too much. And I can imagine, I mean, it's it would be the same in all walks. I, I If you let it, I, I think you can act like this. You can respond to people and energize each other. You know, I mean, just look, look at Bill's done. His whole career is just energized and crank people up and make them laugh and have fun and joy and all that. That's, that's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. We have to be where we are. 
Bill, you think uh, you think the same sort of dynamic exists in in acting as it does in sports in terms of a, a cast and, and a a roster being you know with a with a hierarchy with a chemistry like you got to find the right uh, sort of team dynamics for a movie to work just like just like you do for a a team. Yeah, I mean, in basketball, you talk about spacing, you know, often, and certain people need more space or less space. And, you know, they need to be able to wheel. But I think when you get a bunch of good actors, they kind of know. They kind of go like, "Okay, where's where's he going to be on this? How's he playing this?" And you rehearse a couple times to see how's he going to play this scene, how he's going to play this scene. And there's there's a lot of room up there. There's a lot of space to fill. And you go, okay, well, he's going to do this. There's this whole area over here. I can, I can just finger paint over here and have all the fun I want. And I'm going to be useful. And there's not, there doesn't have to be any kind of grabbing. You know, I, it's, it's deplorable when you're involved with, and you find that someone's just grabbing for more. It's like a ball hog or someone that won't share the ball. Mm-hmm. That's, that's grabbing and reaching for more. And one can act that way, two can act, it can sometimes make two act that way. It causes someone to do it is anxiety about how they're going to come across, how they're going to be perceived. And I've had that feeling of going in and going, oh man, I this is like a really good actor. I'm in here, what, what the hell am I going to do? You know, this guy's such a great actor. I'm, I'm just like a, I'm like just a, a, a willow in, in, compared to this man or woman. But it's just, that's a sort of a false uh, imagination. It's negative imagination. It's not exactly accurate because the scene is written for two people. There better be two people showing up. So I found, and one thing I learned from this great director I had at the second scene in Chicago, Doug Close was, you know, I remember when I was first starting up, I was like a new, a new guy. And, the, the, you know, and it felt like the other actors were bullies, you know. By comparison, <laughs> uh, you know, in the same way like you the low man in a, a skins and shirts game, you know, he just said, you know, you make the other people look good. You make the other guy look good. You never have to worry about how you come off. You don't have to worry at all. You make the other guy look good, and no one's thinking you don't look good. You're part of a, an organization that's making, uh, making a success. You know, so you try to make, you know, when I'm lost, I don't necessarily know what I want, how I want to play a scene. I go like, I don't know, I'll just start by making this person look good and see if that doesn't work. And a really good actor, a co-actor, actress, will acknowledge that, see it right away, see what you're doing, go like, okay, this person's just trying to make me look better. Watch me make him look better. And that's how you sort of exchange this energy. You kind of raise each other to this level together. You kind of go, if you go here, okay, how about if you come here? You want to come up here? Let's go over here. Want to try this? Let's try that. And that's that kind of pleasure thing I'm talking about, where you feel comfortable in your own skin and you're able to do it all day long because you feel comfortable in your skin. Bill, do you see the connection between the uh, the way you've always been such a master improviser and, and the athletes that you watch, you like watching Michael play and watching when Kerr's driving down the middle and flying through the air, you know, and, and does those twists <laughs> and turns. But, uh, you know, the improv- improvisation, the freedom, the uh, 
the the guts to you know to go take the chance because you you would seem like a guy that has always taken a lot of chances in in your comedy and your fun and you know you got to push the limits or you can't get to those crazy places that you get to. But did you see the connection between that and sports and and in uh, the performers that you watch? Well, yeah, you can score baskets a lot of different ways. You can score touchdowns a lot of different ways. You know, it's kind of nice that people are so much more expressive scoring touchdowns. There is a certain amount of joy. You know, there's, you know, people say, well, act as if you've done it before. Okay. But there's also a lot of fun. And it's not so much necessarily that you're showing off for your, for the fans in the stands or the people on television. You're doing it for your teammates, really. You know? yep. And I like that feeling that, like, if I can, if I can dazzle my teammates, and that's what I really like to see on, the, on other, you know, other football games and basketball games, is the teammates enjoying each other. That's when you really go like, hey, they actually like what they do. They really like what they do, and they are doing it for each other. You know, after championships, you hear people say, like, we're a family. We're blessed together. We're all in this together. Well, it doesn't, those are just words, unless you can see. But seeing is a very different thing. Now, I've completely started talking and forgotten exactly what you were asking me. But I got excited. I got, excited. I got really excited. But you said, do I appreciate the improvisation on a basketball court, especially? Well, like, like you have you, you, that's what you're so famous for, that you just do some crazy stuff and respond to things. And, you know, it, you feed off of whatever the other people are doing and that improv, whatever that is, you know, that freedom that you de- demonstrate. I was just wondering if you see the connection in, in other performers. I see it. I see it. And it's, it's that same thing of like leaving your body. I mean, the surprise is doing what's not expected, you know? And if you're thinking it's not, that just doesn't happen particularly if you're just in your brain, but if you can do that sort of, if you're kind of comfortable and sort of down low, your center gravity's down low, People are not expecting what's coming from you because it's coming from a completely solid place and it's delivered like a, a, from a connected individual, you know, it's, it's not flash. It's not someone, you see someone driving down, driving the court at full speed. You think like, okay, sometimes you know who's going all the way and not going to pass the ball. But sometimes there's a, the joy is when that person can act as if he could pass the ball or not pass the ball. Passable or not passable. That's when it's really fun. Because he can act like he's going to shoot all the way to the last minute and for the fun of it, just slip it around his back to someone who's got the layup or vice versa. He can act like he's going to pass it all the way. Like I used to love when Scotty would act like he was going to pass to Mike. And and the whole world, including the defender, thinks he's going to pass it to Michael. And sometimes the defender would be turned, you know, <laughs> 75 degrees all the way to Michael and never see Scotty dunk the ball behind his back. Just never see it. Those those ones are fun. And that kind of and even Mike or the guy not getting the ball's got to laugh at it. Like, that was good. That's what I would have done. You know, that's what I could have. You know, they just people like seeing the other person do the unexpected. You know? And the unexpected is it's yes and no at the same time. Hmm. So could you give us uh I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Can you give us an example of a movie that you worked on where you just had an unbelievable chemistry with the staff and there was an amazing vibe and you were you were just feeling that that magic that we were talking about um throughout the throughout the filming and you were just you know you'd get home every night like man that was fun 
there have been a bunch of movies like that where it was a real challenge to go out and have a situation where, okay, this is going to be hard. And kind of the harder it is, the more fun it is, you know? I mean, I guess Ghostbusters pops into my head because that was a movie that was a very successful movie, but it was a really funny movie and it was a groundbreaking movie. Kind of, it was like an action movie that was a funny movie. There really hadn't been one, anything quite like that. that I can. And the script was written and it was Dan Aykroyd's concept and, and Harold Ramis and he wrote this great script. And then at a certain point when it, all the action starts happening, there's not really a lot of action because, or not a lot of dialogue because the action sort of is taking, uh, taking the main stage. And in that situation, I was kind of the mouth of the team. And uh, we went to Thanksgiving dinner at the director's house and we had the first, he showed us the first cut of the first scene where we try to catch this slimer in a hotel and we rip a place to shreds. And uh, it was the greatest turkey I ever had in my life, I think, because <laughs> I, <laughs> we went back to work the next day and we were slow getting to the set. You know, we're supposed to be in there. And we're all coming in a little slow. And I, I walk in. People are looking at you like, hey, you're a little slow. Come in. I said, relax, boys. we got to kill it. This is the killer. <laughs> you just knew. We Just relax, boys. we got to kill it here. And from that moment, even though it was a very difficult movie, we had to wear these packs that weighed 45, 50 pounds for, you know, 14, 15, 16 hours a day. Yeah. Terrible hours. It was incredibly painful, physically job and demanding job, but we knew we had it, and the crew was with us all the way. We were there with us all the way. We could walk into a scene and be like, "Okay, we got this. What do we got? Okay, let's roll. Let's shoot it." And I didn't. We didn't. We didn't talk about. It. We said, "Let's just shoot it." And in that shooting, our spacing and our bodies working together in this space, we created the dialogue live like that. It's a change. Good. And, and the crew would look and go, God, dang, these guys are fun, you know? <laughs> and it was that way. It was really that way. There were a couple movies like that. The first, um, Stripes was a movie like that. There was a great cameraman and um, uh, a great music store. And the first day of work, we had to do this hard scene. And uh, we shot most of the scene. And then it came around to me and they said, oh, what are you going to do? I said, I looked at the and said, well, I'm not going to read this crap. <laughs> so let's take a break. <laughs> So, and they were all, these were all like real big time movie shooters. And they're like, okay, let's see what these guys are. And I, I'm blanking now on the straight cameraman's name, Bill. Anyway, he made a lot of really big movies and he was a beautiful guy. And, and he saw me go, okay, we're going to take a break. We don't just tell the crew, like 150 people to take a break, but we did. And so we went back on the truck and we, Harold and I kicked around and it's okay. We came back and we did the scene. We shot my side of it, which wasn't the script. It was something different. And uh, I remember the cameraman, Bill, he looked at the other, to the rest of the crew, and he kind of went, okay, this is our guy. We're riding. This is our pony. This is the guy we're riding. And that was it. From that moment on, they were like, if Bill says we're in, not this Bill, that Bill, we're all on. And that was it. And we made a really funny movie on, a, on an army base, which is kind of a fun thing to do. It, it, I'm sure you probably been on an army basis, it's a fun place to play anything, but to be um, in a military situation and not have to really salute or go to the grave is a really great. Pete, do you quote, uh, you, you quote stripes in your household at all? 
uh, not in the household, but, uh, you know, the whole thing about Francis and all that stuff that happened in the barracks that night and that little meeting you guys had, that's come up a million times about stuff, you know, <laughs> so many classics. There's just, well, that was that day, Pete. That was that very first day, that whole Francis, that happened that time. That's, uh, that's when it all happened. That's when I, okay. We're that, good. It looked like, it looked like you must've had a great time. It was just a perfect setting for all you nuts to, you know, to go crazy yeah. and all. Yeah, it was fun. Bill, my uh, my daughter's boyfriend is his name is Francis, and we all the time. I mean, it's just automatic. Lighten up, Francis. I mean, Lighten up, Francis. There there's is. there's that one. There's uh, what, what about Bob was uh, a favorite in the Kerr household, and so and we like to cook. We've been cooking like crazy uh, during the quarantine. You know, no restaurants uh, open, so we're cooking every night, and I would say every you know every three or four nights. Somebody digs into something good. Mm, Mrs. M, Mrs. M, <laughs> straight from What About Bob. Uh, our whole family quotes quotes your stuff. I mean, it's just it's been so much fun to to watch your movies and and, and they cross generations too. You know, uh, Pete and I have been watching you for for a long time. My kids uh, they're they're in their twenties now, but uh, you know they've. They've taken to all your stuff, and my my youngest son is a, a film student at USC. He's a huge Wes Anderson fan, so I could go on you, but you've made a, a huge impact just in our in our daily life and our family life. So thank you for all all your work. Yeah, thanks for all the joys, all the I joys. Had a thank lot, you. A lot of fun doing it. Thank you very much. Well, and thanks for thanks for coming on tonight I, 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 or today. I want to ask you one last thing, and we'll let you go. I, so I, you know, when I was playing for the Bulls, I would go to Second City. My wife and I would go to Second City all the time. And to this day, when we go to play the Bulls, which is once a year, uh, if we have a night off the night before, I'll take my coaching staff, and I love that show. It's it's fantastic. I gotta I gotta just hear. That's, I mean, that's basically where you got your start, right? That's right. So what, what was it like? How old were you when you first went to see a show? And how did that help you get your career rolling? Well, I talk about being very lucky. I'm, I was, uh, my older brother, or one of my older brothers, Brian, started for Second City. And he was there in a cast of Joe Flaherty from SETV, a very funny guy, Harold Ramos and Eugene Ross London. Bunch of funny people doing more, and I was sort of like a hippie kid that you know that it wasn't going over too well at, at home. So I would basically go out all night, come back in and be asleep when everyone else in the house sort of woke up. Uh, they'd leave, I'd eat, and then I'd leave just before they came back. My only friend in the house was the dog. Everybody, I was just not good company. But I would flee it and. Where I was, there was no one really to hang out with. So I would hitchhike downtown to the city uh, to where Brian was working in the theater. And I would just hang out there because they, you know, they were fine with me. And I'd watch the show and I didn't think anything about it, but I watched them many, many times. I watched the show and I'd hang out and I'd go out afterwards with these guys and whatever. And only a couple of years later uh, did I ever try to improvise there. And uh, the first time I tried, I was terrible, really, really bad. And I walked out on Wall Street, and I walked all the way. I just started walking. And the next thing I knew, I was about 74 blocks south, okay? <laughs> and I looked around and went, oh, Bill, you really shouldn't be right here right now. 
I was in a, in a, in a rough and tumble neighborhood and I had no business being there. And I thought, Oh, well, this is what comes of it. You know, you can't, you can't make it on the stage and then he died. <laughs> I realized I couldn't do it because I, I didn't know anything. And then I took off and went to live out West for a little while and, and had some, some life and lived a little bit. And when I came back a couple of years later, I had some really good stories and I could tell people really good stories. I had really good stories. And I went to try the theater again. I had kind of a miraculous moment. I was underneath the clock at Marshall Fields on Christmas Eve. And there was a lady who was the teacher, the instructor of the improvisation class. And she said, Bill, would you be interested in taking some improvisation classes? Yes, but I can't really afford that. Yes, well, that's okay. I need my, my kitchen painting. Would you? Do you know how to paint? I said, well, actually, I do know how to paint. So in exchange for painting her kitchen, <laughs> she gave me three improvisation classes. And it wasn't that good a deal because she lived in the basement apartment of this uh, three-story townhouse in Chicago. And all the heat pipes from the whole building came down to the basement level and existed uh, just below the surface of the ceiling. So I had to paint all these pipes, all these pipes that were hot. And the paint would drip on my face. And I would go <laughs> to class covered with purple paint. Purple paint because that was her favorite color. And the room had to be painted purple. So I was covered with like dappled with purple paint. It took me, I mean, it's not like painting a room. You could paint a room in a day. Painting this thing took maybe eight, nine days to paint because there were so many pipes to paint. And I was covered with paint and heat and uh, Anyway, that's how I got started. I don't know what the question is. Once again, I think about the heat and the paint, my eyes and stuff. But that's that's how it came to be. I was very lucky. And all those guys dragged me along. Harold and Belushi and Brian. They they went to New York and they dragged me into New York and they got me into work on the National Lampoon Radio Hour. And then they dragged me into working in the National Lampoon off Broadway show. And then we all got dragged together, uh, Brian and I and Christopher Guest, to work on the Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell show, which is its own experience. And then we did a Super Bowl documentary, and then I got the Saturday Night Live job. And then, but it was all just, I was in the wake of all these people dragging me along. And I just tried to pay attention to what they were doing, you know, and I learned it in almost amount. That's how it works, right? I mean, everybody's story is kind of similar. You got mentors, you got, you know, people who kind of show you the way and you, you stumble into something and next thing you know, you know, you got a career and it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's so cool to, you know, hear about, about your story and, and to hear from you and, and to know that you actually listen to our podcast. I mean, that's how <laughs> bored you are during the quarantine. It was great. I wish Pete would talk more. I really do. Uh, I, really I don't give him much of a chance, though. Bill, yeah. I kind of dominate. I'm yapping plenty. I'm yapping plenty. <laughs> well, the, that first one that you two did together—that was really extraordinary. That was a very—that was a wonderful exchange. That was a really wonderful exchange, and I, I, I could see that why you're having going to have a great success with this. I appreciate you bringing that up. Those tickets I told you about, uh, you know, for when we come come your way, you got them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hope you guys have a great season. I enjoyed watching both of your teams very much. I was very happy that you got the uh, the Golden State job. At the time, I was in New York, and there was talk you were coming to New York. And I thought, oh my God, he's he's too fine a person to take this job. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
thanks, I'm Bill. I'm glad it worked out for you. All right, I'll see you guys in the championship this year, the Super Bowl in the final. All right, Bill. Great, great to visit. Thank you. I love it. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. All right.